0: What's the purpose of us meeting as a church? What's the purpose of us having this ministry? And what is this church, this building, supposed to be? Why does God have us meeting? Why does God have us together? We've worshiped the Lord in a number of buildings as a congregation over the last four years. We've been at the Marriott, then we were at the Women's Club, then we are at Wisconsin Avenue, and now we're here on Washington Avenue, and we've had services and prayer meetings and Bible studies in the upper room and in the MC. We just keep wandering around and you keep finding us, which is wonderful. But we know that a building's not sacred. We know that four walls don't necessarily have, uh, you know, in and of themselves uh, holiness to them, even if they have stained glass or pews or certain color paint or whatever the case may be. But we do know that the Lord places great value on his people gathering together to worship him. And we do know that when God's people come together and they start to exalt him and they start to honor him and call on his name and encourage one another and study his word, that God is there and God blesses that. And it's so important that God says in Hebrews, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together as some do. Make sure you get together. Make sure that you meet to encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day of His return coming near. And we know, don't we, that the day of His return is very near. So we're called and we're commanded by the Lord to come together and to meet and to worship Him. So this is not just an ordinary place this morning. We don't we don't come here uh, with, with thoughtlessness. This is described because we're together to worship the Lord. This is described as the house... Health- House of the Lord and He's here with us today. And aren't you glad for that? I pray that we sense his presence and I pray that we know that He's here. Now, because it's the house of the Lord, because that's His designation, it's important uh, that we understand what He says about His house because we want to make sure that when we come together, that we're here with the right attitude and we're here for the right purpose. A lot of us went to a uh, friends' house or family's house over the holiday and we We gathered together with them to celebrate Thanksgiving or we had people to our homes and we um, probably didn't stop by. We probably didn't just drop in with the same mindset that we always have if we're just visiting on a regular Thursday. We came prepared and we came uh, with a certain mindset. Special food was prepared and the house was laid out a certain way and it was decorated and maybe there was a fire in the fireplace and the table was set nicely with maybe with candles and and all the different carbohydrates were laid out on the counter and (laughs) and we kind of anticipated the dullness that we would feel about 7 o'clock, but great care was given to that wasn't just haphazard. We didn't just pull out a, a frozen lasagna from the freezer and dump it on the counter and say, here, happy Thanksgiving. There was a lot of time and a lot of effort that was put into it. And, and as we talked about last week, maybe as we came up to the house, if there's been stress or tension or, or there's some uh, sense of unrest, we we kind of checked our attitude and said, all right, now I need to maybe not say certain things or not think certain things or not get offended easily because, because this is a time for us to be together, so I'm going to be more gracious and more diplomatic. I mean, maybe that attitude kind of invaded our minds. This is a special time. This is a time to come together. Now, how much more, if we did that for Thanksgiving, how much more should we approach the house of the Lord? With thoughtfulness and with respect and with the anticipation and preparation of our hearts, I think what saddens me most about um, the the adaptations that the postmodern church has made um, to to fit in with the culture is that it doesn't really feel special anymore. It feels like everything else and and some of that reverence and respect has kind of been pushed down because importance has been placed on not being different. In fact, churches spend thousands and millions, literally millions of dollars to make sure that the church doesn't look like what people's impression of a church might be. Because they want to make sure, in their, I think, flawed way of thinking, that it's completely wiped of anything that would be religious. So we know that there's no question that... that You know, a church building doesn't have to be churchy. It doesn't have to look a certain way in order for God's presence to be there. That we're not saying that. What I'm saying is that that uh, there should be a certain reverence and a certain attitude of respect and preparation as we come into the house of the Lord. We shouldn't be calloused. It shouldn't be like, hey, we're just going to the mall. And sometimes I think it's easy for American Christians to just kind of think, well, I'm just going to go, go to the mall and my thinking. I'm just going to go to church, kind of do my thing, and go home. And, and maybe I'll meet the Lord, maybe I won't, but I'm not really sure. But that's, that's not in Scripture. It's not in Scripture that when the church gathers together that we're not sure we're going to meet the Lord. It is in Scripture that when we gather together, we should be absolutely sure that the Lord's here and we're ready to meet Him. So, I want to take some time this morning and, and look at a, a couple passages of Scripture. In fact, in your bulletin, uh, we, we listed a number of passages of Scripture because I'm going to refer to them throughout the message, but we're not going to have time to turn to all of them. So, you can use them for study uh, later on. But I want to uh, make as the main text this morning Mark chapter 11. I don't want you to turn there yet. I want you to turn actually to 1 Kings chapter 8 first. Um, but the Lord talks in Scripture a lot about His house. I had a fun little word study this week on, on the house of the Lord. And, and the only time we see Jesus get angry is when somebody re- disrespected the house of the Lord. and That should tell us something. And all throughout Scripture, the Lord talks about His house and about how important His house is and what's supposed to happen in His house. And I want to give you very briefly, I'll try to talk... Briefly, because you've heard a lot of me this morning, more than you should. Uh, I want to I just talk very briefly in a, this study the five main purposes of the house of the Lord. Because there are five things that God says my house should be. And I want to encourage you to take some notes. We'll draw a little personal application at the end about our own homes. But let's start in 1 Kings chapter 8, because there's a foundational principle here about the house of the Lord that really underlies all the others. And it is so important, what we see in 1 Kings chapter 8, is so important that if a church doesn't have this one characteristic, and if a church doesn't seek this one characteristic, there is no way that it can be blessed by the Lord. If a church does not have this quality, and a church doesn't seek this quality, there is no way God will bless it. Now, we see it here as Solomon dedicates the temple. And here's the first principle. The house of the Lord is to be a place of the presence of the Lord. The house of the Lord is a place of the presence of the Lord. 1 Kings 8 is the account of when the temple was completed and Israel's moving the Ark of the Covenant into the Holy of Holies. Now, that's significant because the Ark of the Covenant symbolized the presence of the Lord. After Israel wandered in the wilderness for 40 years, and we know they were led by a pillar of fire at night and a cloud by day, so they would see exactly where they were going, and they would know that the presence of God was leading them. When they get to the, to the Jordan River, and they're about to cross into the Promised Land, the cloud goes away. And God says to Joshua, Take the priests, have them walk the Ark of the Covenant into the water. And as they walk into the water, the water stands up miles away. And they stand on dry ground just like they had when they crossed the Red Sea. And they stand in the middle of the, in the, middle of the Jordan with the Ark of the Covenant. And God says to the people, don't get near it because that's my presence. Cross over into the land I promised to Abraham and the, uh, the priests are going to stand there until the last foot is in Canaan. And then they're going to come out and the water is going to come back and wash. So the Ark of the Covenant, at that point, as they moved in the Promised Land, stood for the presence of the Lord. Now they have built a literal house of the Lord. They've built the temple. In the wilderness, they were in the tabernacle. Now they're in the temple. And in verses 4 to 5, you see that they bring the ark, and they bring the tent of meaning, which was the temporary tabernacle when they were in the wilderness, the place where the Lord would come and visit with Moses. And they bring those up into the temple. And they're sacrificing so many sheep and so many cattle that, that they lost count. They couldn't even count how many... Uh, sacrifices they were making. And then in verses 6 to 9, the priest placed the ark in the holy place where God's presence is going to reside and where his mercy would be given to the people. That's the veil that opened up. The holy place was opened up when Christ died. The veil was rent from top to bottom. And access was given, Hebrews 10, into the holy of holies so we can go straight to the throne of grace. So in the Old Testament, they bring the ark in. It goes into the holy place where only the high priest could go once a year on the day of atonement when he'd offer a sacrifice for the sins of the people, and God would show mercy. So now they bring the ark of the covenant into this holy place. But it's what happens in verses 10 and 11 that gives us insight into the house of the Lord. Look at these verses. It happened that when the priest came from the holy place that the cloud filled the house of the Lord so that the priest could not stand to minister because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. Now, as soon as the priest step out of the Holy of Holies, the presence of the Lord descends on the temple and fills the building. And his presence was so full and so awesome that the priest literally couldn't even stand up to do their ministry. Now, ultimately... That is what the house of the Lord should be like, that his presence would be so manifest and so clearly here that there is no way that we can enter casually. There's no way that we can come to worship him kind of insincerely because as we walk in, we're so aware that he's here. You guys have heard me talk about Brooklyn Tabernacle throughout the years. And the reason I, I talk about the church a lot is because of how it influenced me the first time I was ever there. I walked in the doors. I'd been saved about 15 years. I knew the Lord. I was involved in ministry. I, I was, you know, what you would expect. And, and I walked into the Brooklyn Tabernacle. And, and, and as soon as I got into the lobby, I was overwhelmed by the unmistakable understanding that the Lord's presence was there in that place. It was so obvious and so visceral that I was just overcome by awe and humility and and my eyes started to tear up and I felt completely unworthy to be in that place. I can feel it like it was that day. It's almost 20, probably more than 20 years ago. And in that moment... I thought to myself, and I've been in church all my life, I thought to myself, this is what the house of the Lord should be like. This is 1 Kings 8. This is when you go into the church that the presence of the Lord is so obvious that you just kind of can't think about anything else. Now, we know that the Lord's presence is here this morning. The Word tells us that. But how much do we sense it? And how much do we anticipate it? And how much does he feel welcome by us? Does he sense this morning that we're craving to be in his presence? Or is this just another event in the week? David says in Psalm 27, There is one thing I desire of the Lord, and I will seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. In other words, there's nowhere I want to be more. I want to be directly in his presence with his people to the point that David is basically saying, I'd live there if they'd let me. I want to just be near the Lord. I just want to be near His presence. There's really nothing greater that we could desire as we start year five as a church, a year which will be significant in our history, that, that, that I believe that we should desire that His presence will be so obvious that when anyone walks in the door, they are overwhelmed that God is abiding here. And we have to seek that. We have to ask the Lord for that. We can't just say, well, of course, where two or three are gathered, God will be with them. So, of course, God's here. Yes, it's true in theory. But is it true in how we sense it and how we feel it? Now, How does that happen? Turn over to Mark chapter 11. This is really our main text of the morning, even though we've got about 85 texts in the bulletin. You'll have fun studying this week, right? Mark chapter 11. Here's the only time in Scripture that Jesus specifically says, This is what my house should be. The only time the Savior says, This is is what I want. This is what I desire. And it's something we've tried to prioritize as a church. We haven't always done it well, and we need to more fervently in the year ahead. Here's what Jesus says He says, My house is to be a house of prayer, it's a house of His presence. And it's a house of prayer. Let's start reading Mark chapter 11 and verse 15. Then they came to Jerusalem, and he entered the temple and began to drive out those who were buying and selling in the temple, and overturned the tables and the money changers and the seats of those who were selling doves, and he would not permit anyone to carry merchandise through the temple. And he began to teach and say to them, is it not written, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you've made it a robber's den. The chief priests and the scribes heard this and began to seek how to destroy him, for they were afraid of him, for the whole crowd was astonished at his teaching. Now Jesus has just entered Jerusalem on a donkey. It's less than a week before he's going to be placed on the cross and sacrificed for our sins. So it would be natural to think that his mind is on other things. Be natural to think that he's anticipating the cross and the pain and the agony, not only of the tremendous physical pain, but, but the burden of having trillions and billions and trillions and billions of sins placed on him at that moment and being separated from the Father. So so it would be understandable if he's not worried about what's going on in the temple. And yet, notice how concerned he is that, that the atmosphere and the purpose of his house is right. Prayer is of first importance to him. It's why the early church was birthed out of prayer. It's why the church was most unified and most strong and grew the most when They weren't following church growth strategies, and they weren't being clever, and they weren't conforming to culture, and they weren't uh, softening the gospel. It's when they gathered for daily prayer and study. It's why Peter is released from prison, because the church gathered to pray. It's why Paul tells the most healthy church in the New Testament, Philippi, he says to them, When all the other churches are fighting and being selfish and not praying, he says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace that passes all understanding will fill your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. It's why in Revelation, we see the picture, and we've said it a hundred times, we see the picture of God holding the prayers of his people in bowls because he says, this smells sweet to me. This is an aroma to me. I love it when I smell the perfume of my people's prayers. Prayer was of utmost importance. And look back at the text. The reason Jesus gets so righteously angry here is because he sees his house is being corrupted by people who are selling sacrifices to other people and exploiting them financially. But what was really offensive to him is he was, they were giving people the opportunity to show up to the temple not prepared, not focused on the presence of the Lord. In other words, the commerce that they were providing us well, I've got to go to the temple and I've got to make a sacrifice, but I don't have anything. I didn't stop at, at the store on the way to get my dove, so I'm going to show up at the temple. There are guys selling doves at the temple. We're going to have to pay a little bit more, but we don't have the convenience of transporting it from Galilee. So they're making money off people that are lazy, and the lazy people are saying, oh, we don't want to come prepared. We'll just get it when we get there. It'll kind of be a little bit of an afterthought. And the fact that they had made the church a business was enough to make him turn over the tables and interrupt their commerce because it's not the purpose of his house. And that's a strong statement to the church in 2014, isn't it? Because how far afield have we gotten that the church has now become a business? We think as business. We act as business. We, we, we function as a business. We, we promote ourselves as a business. Everything is against what Jesus says here in Mark chapter 11. And yet prayer has been devalued. Prayer has been de-emphasized. It's rare for a church to gather during the week and pray. Rare. And yet he says, look at the text. This is what my house is supposed to be. My house is supposed to be a house of prayer for all nations. In other words, a place that's distinguished by people gathering to call on the Lord. Seeking me, trusting me. Asking me for my leading and asking me for my help. A place to abide in my presence. This is why prayer meeting, our prayer meeting, is really the most important service of the week. It's really the one that you should prioritize on your schedule. Because it's what Jesus says is most important. This is what Jesus says is a high value. And and we can't misinterpret that. We can't explain it away. We can't say, well, that's not for this time. What he is saying is, if we're going to thrive as a church in year five and beyond, if we want the Lord to bless us and lead us and help us, then we must be a house of prayer. And prayer is going to be the power and the confidence that we need to deal with so much spiritual warfare that's going on right now in our midst. And we are in the middle of spiritual warfare God wants to protect us against what's going on. And if we don't call in his name, we render ourselves open and powerless. Then look at the second part. He says, it's be a house of prayer for all nations. Which means that we're not a white church, we're not a middle class church, we're not a church for younger people, we're not a church for older Christians, or we're not a, people, a church for people that only love hymns, we're not a church for people that only love praise music, we're, we're not a church that only caters to people with kids. No, that's not what the church is supposed to be. This marginalization of church, well, we're, we're a church for the younger generation. I'm sorry, I don't find that in my scripture. A house of prayer for all nations. Every tongue, tribe, person, uh, anything, anybody that wants to come is welcome in this place. You know why? Because that's what heaven's going to be like. Heaven's not going to be, oh, the white middle class people from the Midwest, or the people that that have this doctrine, or the people that do this, or the people that have kids, or the people that are young, or the people that are, that's not what heaven's like. Heaven is going to be an amazing amalgamation of people from every tongue, tribe, and nation who are going to praise God for saving them. That's what the church should be like. This church should be cross-generational, cross-racial, cross doctrinal. It should be everything. It is for every tongue and tribe. I served in a little church once. Probably shouldn't tell you this, but I'm going to anyway. Served in a little church, and they did not want visitors. To the point that a racially mixed couple walked in one day with their kids. I may have told you this story before. Let me tell it again. And, 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 and people kind of greeted them in their own southern way, but I could tell it wasn't sincere. And when I called the couple that week and just said, thank you for visiting, they said, well, we really liked the church. We liked you, but we're not coming back. I was heartbroken. I said, why? And they said, well, people made it known that they didn't want us there. And I thought, that's not the church. The church is for anybody that walks in. This is the house of the Lord, and he's honored here. And he will be praised in this place. Look at the third thought. Knowing what Jesus says about the right attitude and being focused on what's right, the house of the Lord has to be a place of spiritual preparation. Harbor Rock Tabernacle should be both a training ground and a spiritual emergency room. Each of our kids was born at Northwestern Hospital in Chicago. And we chose Northwestern, even though it was 25 miles from our house. We chose Northwestern for two reasons. One is we were dealing with high-risk pregnancies, and they were good at that. And the other was that Northwestern is a teaching hospital. So doctors would come in. And when they'd come in, they'd have students or they'd have interns and they would walk them through the thro- thought process. They would take the time, at least back when we were having kids, it may have changed now, and, and they, would, they would say, now what would you do or what do you think is the diagnosis here? And they would train them as to what to do. Not only so they would have a regular practice and a regular ministry to patients, but so if an emergency comes up, they would be able to deal with it. Now now that really, I was thinking about that late last night, that really is a great picture of how the house of the Lord should function. It should be a place of training And development so we are mature and able to minister well to people. But it all should be a place where we are fully prepared that when somebody walks in in crisis or needs to know about the sufficiency of God's grace and the gift of salvation, that we are ready. It's my job. It's the leader's job. It's the teacher's job to provide that training. But listen, interns aren't supposed to stay interns, are they? None of us should stay in the same place that we are spiritually or the same place that we are in terms of our preparation. Every one of us, myself included, needs to be moving on to greater maturity and have hearts that are more prepared and more ready and know more Scripture and be more deep in prayer and more able to minister to people and more caring and more loving so we can minister to anybody. Now, when we come to the house of the Lord, we need to be prepared to be challenged and changed so that we're equipped to go serve. And that's accomplished through a couple things. It's accomplished through study. Acts seventeen eleven. you can look at it later. A group of people called the Bereans eagerly studied the scripture every single day so their hearts would be prepared. It's accomplished through evangelism. Luke chapter 14, verse 23, where the master says to the servants, go out and compel the people to come to the house of the Lord because he has trouble finding people who aren't too preoccupied or too busy or too caught up in themselves or too complacent about what the Lord's doing. Listen, if we're going to grow as a church, we need to grow because people are getting saved, not because people are coming from other churches. Evangelism has to be a priority. Outreach has to be a priority to tell people about Jesus Christ. The people that we come in contact with every day that only we're going to meet, we need to talk about the Lord to them. Because evangelism doesn't happen by proxy. It's intentional. It comes out of a concern for the lost. And preparation also comes from giving both financially and in serving. Malachi 3.10 says, test me. The Lord speaking to us, saying, test me. When you bring your whole tithe to me, I promise that I will open up the windows of heaven and I will pour out more blessing than you can possibly imagine. But you have to trust me by giving your offering and giving of yourself. And when we do that, when we give faithfully and we serve him with gladness and with joy, God will bless us and bless our ministry more than we can take. How many want to be blessed more than we can take? Year five, I want to see God bless us. So we're like, Lord, stop. We can't handle it. You're giving us too much. You're blessing us too much. The ministry's too anointed. We, like, can't function because you are doing so much to bless the ministry. I I want that. But that comes out of this. It comes out of spiritual preparation. Fourth, quickly, natural extension of the third one. The house of the Lord is to be a place of praise. Psalm 22.3, we just sang it as a choir says that he is holy and enthroned on the praises of his people. What does that mean? What does it mean to be enthroned? It means that he abides in our praise. He inhabits us. In other words, this is such a cool thought. When we praise the Lord, he stands right in the middle of it and delights that we are giving him honor. When we sang this morning, when we sang, Great is thy faithfulness. You know what the Lord was doing? He was standing right in the middle of our midst, just soaking in the honor that he's due. He was delighted that we were saying, God, you're faithful. And morning by morning, I'll seek your new mercy. All I've ever needed uh, you've provided. Lord, we're so grateful that you're faithful. If that really came from our hearts, if we really sang that full of joy and full of emotion and saying, Lord, you're so good. How could we know a God like you? You're so good to us. If we sang like that, God just stood in the middle and just took it all in. Because he inhabits the praise of his people. and we praise God that way, as something that the Lord loves and abides in because we're getting in our hearts in the right place. It makes us want to sing and praise even more. When we understand that's, the, that's what's going on, it, it, it shouldn't, there shouldn't be anything to hold us back. Why would we, let me, let, me, let me get personal. Why would we hold back in our praise? Because we're nervous we don't sing well? Or because it's not our tradition, I didn't grow up singing like that. Or, or, or because, because people will, will be embarrassed, people will think we're weird. Listen, most people think I'm weird anyway. I don't need to sing to prove it. People aren't as concerned about you as you think they are. Just praise the Lord because he says when you praise me, when I praise him, he will be right in the center of it. And we may have all the reasons in the world why we don't want to sing very loudly. But listen, when we remember that the Lord's standing in the middle of it, being honored by it, that's not the time to hold back. We should blow the roof off this place every week. Because our praise is so loud and so joyful and so honoring to Him. And we're saying, God, You're so good. We're nothing without You. How could we worship You enough? You've saved us and redeemed us and sealed us. He's worthy of our praise. This house should be filled every week with joyful worship. Look at the last one. Psalm chapter 63. If you want to turn there, you can. The house of the Lord is a place of power from heaven. The house of the Lord is a place of power from heaven. I want you to hear or read along what David says in Psalm chapter 63. O God, you are my God. What a statement that is on itself. O God, you are my God. I will seek you earnestly. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh yearns for you. In a dry and weary land where there's no water. Thus I've seen you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory because your loving kindness is better than life. My lips will praise you and I'll bless you as long as I live and I'll lift up my hands in your name. My soul is satisfied with marrow and fatness as my mouth offers praises with joyful lips. The house of the Lord is a house of power from heaven. Now what's interesting about this passage and if you look if, you're, if your uh, Bible has captions before the Psalms, you see where he is. What's interesting about this text is that David is talking about the power and glory of God that he's seen in the sanctuary while he's in the wilderness. This is when he's running from Absalom. This is when Absalom tries to start a coup and try to take over and he has people behind him and he presses into Jerusalem and David has to take his wife and his his children and his people and he has to get out of town and he goes out into the wilderness and as he's out in the wilderness, he writes this psalm. Now David's desire at this point Because his son has rebelled, his son has committed murder, in murdering his half-brother. His son is out of control, his son wants the throne, he has no rightful authority to it. He's doing something completely against the Lord's leading, and he's going against his father. So as a dad, I don't know what you'd feel in that circumstance. I know there would be a mix of emotions. But what is absent here in David is a desire for justice or revenge. What is absent is him saying, Lord, I just got to get back on the throne. You told me it's my throne. I want to be back there. It's my right. I want to lead the people. I want to show other nations the power of Israel. And and Lord, you need to get me back on the throne and you need to take Absalom out. That's nowhere in the psalm. Instead, he says, look at it. Lord, my soul thirsts for you. My, my, my heart just yearns for you. And again, not to get anything, not because he's going to leverage his relationship with the Lord to get his throne back. He only wants to experience, listen now, the power of the Lord, which is expressed most fully in how God loves us and how sufficient he is for everything that we need. If you're a believer this morning, if you are, are one who claims that, you, that you've trusted in Jesus Christ, and that's true in your life, the question is, how much power of the Lord are you experiencing in your life? Power is always associated with the Holy Spirit. So the more spiritual power, the more holiness that we have in our lives, the more the Spirit is in control. But if we are lacking in power, and we are lacking in, in, in strength, and we are lacking in in real holiness in our lives, what does that mean? The only conclusion that we can make is that the Spirit's not in control. Power, Holy Spirit. You shall receive power after the Holy Spirit comes. The church gained its power when the Holy Spirit invaded them. The church loses its power when the Holy Spirit's marginalized. And we as believers lose our power when we don't yield ourselves to the Holy Spirit. Now, the the concept of power in the house of the Lord is connected to others. Because when his presence is obvious, his glory and his strength will fill the place. Where the people are calling on his name fervently, he will respond with power where there's a strong dynamic of studying and praising him and preparation of hearts and becoming more holy, that will strengthen our spirit and it will give us the impetus to press on and be strong in the Lord, the power of his might, and do the work of ministry. See, the church needs all those four characteristics because when the church has the first four characteristics, it will be a place of power. If the church doesn't have those four characteristics, there will be no power. Now, this is what we desired from day one as a church. And it's why we, we chose the name we did for this church. Most of you know that story. But, but in, in the name the Lord gave us for this church, that was the desire, that we would be a harbor, that we would be a place where you can come to be personally and spiritually refreshed, And to be encouraged by fellowship and get training and get restocked and get ready to go back out to do the work of ministry and to make disciples. You come into the harbor to get ready to go back out. You don't come in the harbor to sit and have a cheeseburger. You get fed. You get restocked. You get equipped. You get encouraged. And you go back out. We always wanted to base it on the rock of Jesus Christ. This is His house. It's not our house. It's not our church. It's not our building. It's His house. And we are a tabernacle. We're the place where we pray His presence will fill this house. So our goal, our desire, our, our purpose as a ministry Is to be all five of these things. That his presence would fill this place. That we'd be a house of prayer. We'd be a house of praise. We'd be a house of preparation. And that there would be power evident. But listen, let's draw this to a close. This house is not the only house that needs those five characteristics. This church, this ministry needs that. But our homes and our families need those five characteristics to be present at all times. We as families, we as homes need the presence of the Lord. And we need to pray that God would fill our homes so it would be obvious to anybody that walks in, whether it's a family member or a friend or the neighbor kid down the street, That when they walk into that house, that the Lord is there. That the Lord is preeminent in that family. That our children know that he is our foremost and singular priority. And he will be honored and exalted in our homes. That should distinguish our houses. The second thing is that our homes need to be houses of prayer, and that's not always comfortable, and we don't always do that well, and it's easy to get it out of the schedule. But how much would it change our homes if they were really houses of prayer? It would change our homes in the same way it would change this church if Thursday night really was our most important meeting. And this is difficult for us, and it's a deficiency for most of us, but the Lord wants our homes to be places of prayer like he wants it for the church, and you and I need to do better at that. Third, our homes need to be places of preparation. We can't wait for the church to educate our kids. We need to be educating our kids. We need to be having spiritual conversations. They need to be learning verses. We need to be talking about the faithfulness of the Lord and the goodness of the Lord and how he's answered prayer. We need to talk ourselves through trial and crisis and talk about being patient and trusting him and relying on him. We need to train them to give. We need to train them to serve. We need to train them to share their faith. That's not the church's responsibility. This church will help in every way we can. But that is our responsibility as parents. Our homes need to be a place of spiritual preparation. Fourth, our homes need to be a place of praise. Not full of criticism. Not full of harsh words. Not full of attitude. Not full of self-centeredness. But full of praise. Full of music that honors the Lord. Full of spiritual education. We need to be building each other up In our faith. Listen, our kids get enough tearing down from the world, right? They're going to get ripped apart and torn apart, and their faith is going to try to be undermined. And if you and I don't fight that, they'll get overwhelmed. So they need to know when they're home, that's a place of refuge. It's a place of encouragement. It's a place of edification. It's a place of kindness. It's a place of mercy. It's a place of grace. And it's a place of love because we are praising the Lord in how we live. And then last, final thought, you've listened so well. Our homes need to be a place where spiritual power exists. Full of love and mercy and peace not harshness and strife and lack of forgiveness. There should be the power of the Lord evident in our homes. Joshua said, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. I don't, it doesn't matter what the neighbor's doing. doesn't matter what the guy across the street's doing. doesn't matter what my unsafe family members are doing. As for my house, you want to know what we're going to do? We're going to serve the Lord. If every family in this church made that declaration, Our house is going to be a place where we serve the Lord. This church, we're not going to get focused on anything other. We're going to serve the Lord. We're going to be these five things. This house, this house is going to be a place where these five things exist. If that happened, God's blessing would pour over us. Listen, we all have our weaknesses, and we all need to be honest with ourselves, and with the Lord, and we need to ask Him to change our hearts and to convict us when we're not doing what we need to do. And when we do that, He'll answer it. If we say, Lord, convict me that I'm not doing this. Lord, convict me that as a church we're not doing this well. Lord, Lord, convict me that, that that's not a strength in my life and I need it to be a strength for my kids' sake or for my marriage' sake or for whatever. As we pray that, God's not going to say, I don't know. Maybe I'll get around to that in April. If we come to his throne of grace, which he's opened up for us, and we say, Lord, bring me to conviction and change the way this is, God will say, done. Now yield to me. Obey me and do it. This is his house. He deserves all the praise and all the glory and all the honor that we can give him. And then when we go home, Our houses are His. Let's close our eyes. You guys have listened so well, and I've talked a long time, but let me just take one more minute and just say to you, between you and the Lord, between you and the Lord, which of these five is lacking? In your life, in your home, which one's lacking? And what is your part? Not, not what everybody else is doing. What's your part? What's your responsibility?